Welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. For anyone who wants to make money and make a difference, grow and leverage your enterprise better, get more done in less time, outsource everything and create your ideal lifestyle. And now, your host, eight times best-selling author and double world record holder, Rob Moore. Welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. Thank you. This is Rob Moore here. And this is episode nine, chopping, changing, and starting again, again. So how frequently should you change your business model, your vision, your strategy in your business? How frequently should you set up another income stream or add another part to your business, maybe that seems to merge? For example, if you're a property investor and then you set up a letting agency, that's something that you think is a natural progression. But is there a cost of creating that new enterprise or diversifying? Should you diversify? Should you focus explicitly on one business model or one thing and get the best at that? And uh, if you're a business owner, entrepreneur, if you're in the wealth creation industry, if you're in the business opportunity world, if you see yourself as a, a disruptor or a startup business owner, investor, entrepreneur, then you'll see so many things come and go and come and go. You'll see so many business opportunities and every five minutes something being sold to you that can make you a good trillionaire in four seconds. And you'll look from the outside at a lot of these business models and opportunities and you'll see the top 0.1% who are successful. And if you're anything like me, you'd probably be quite interested to be in that vocation uh, you know, you may think that you could succeed too. I've often thinking that having a business around coffee would be great because it's basically a legal drug. I'm really inspired by technology and I like the idea of maybe creating more apps around some of my businesses. And if you love business like I do and you love entrepreneurship and you're always reading about it and you're studying the most successful people in the world, whether it's Mark Zuckerberg or Steve Jobs or Richard Branson or whoever, you have your heroes in business. You can look at what they do and you can think, yeah, I'll have some of that. The reality is, though, that maybe you don't know what they know. Maybe your skills aren't in that area. Maybe you're too early. Maybe you're too late. Who knows if it's something that you could do? Uh, maybe they got into it accidentally. You know, Rolls-Royce always used to be uh, aircraft engines and only moved into cars as the market changed. So, you know, maybe it's something that they kind of didn't think they were going to do initially. I'm sure Bill Gates and Warren Buffett didn't think in their 20s that they were going to be philanthropists, philanthropists <laughs> uh, running the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and campaigning and actively raising tens of billions of dollars and eradicating polio and putting most of their time into those ventures. So chopping, changing, starting again, 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 should you, shouldn't you? Now, you hear a lot, uh, it's smart to have multiple streams of income, and I do certainly agree with that. The more income streams you have, the more de-risked you are from a recession or a crash, the more flexibility you have, the more freedom you have, especially if uh, a lot of that income is from assets, i.e. it's passive income, whether it's property or a, a business interest you have, but you're not working in the business anymore, or some IP, or you have royalties from books or audio programs, or you wrote Christmas number one or whatever. It is definitely smart to have multiple streams of income. From my experience, watching people succeed and fail, failing and succeeding myself, there's a certain way that you should do that that gives you sustainable and enduring success. And there's lots of ways you can do it that can mess it up. So what I see a lot of people do when they get started, 
you know, their first few years of being an entrepreneur is they take on too many income streams at once. So for example, if they want to be a property investor, then they're buying single lets and then multi-lets and they want to convert big buildings into flats. And they also want a letting agency and they want to have a sourcing business and sell deals for other people. And they want to write a book and they want to do audio programs and they want their podcast and, you know, and all these things. And they're trying to do this all in the first year or two. Uh, ultimately, they end up spreading themselves way too thin. So the likelihood is oftentimes that they actually had a good model and they, they did something that was proven to work and other people proved that it could work, but that they spread themselves too thin. I don't know if you've ever felt overwhelmed and then you get frustrated because you're overwhelmed and then you get confused because you're overwhelmed and then you procrastinate because you're overwhelmed and confused and frustrated uh, and then nothing happens and then you just want to reject it all because you want to get rid of all the pain and then you start again. And the problem is that can become an, ad- an addiction or a habit. And I see that with many entrepreneurs uh, because really what they do is they look for the next new thing that's going to save them. They spread themselves too thin. They don't focus deep enough on one to three things to make it work. In the end, they blame the thing or themselves. So then they reject the thing and look for the new thing to kind of replace the failings of the old thing. But they go into the new thing in exactly the same way that they did the old thing. You know, so much like a, an addiction to drugs or, or you know, alcohol or whatever. So you don't want to spread yourself too thin. And I recommend between one and three models or streams. Now, most people have been uber successful, really had one business model, but they could have more than one stream in that business model. You know, if you take Apple as an example, yeah, they have one main business model, I suppose, technology. But of course, they've got iTunes, which is a great innovation. Uh, Of course, they've got Apple TV. They've got the phones. They've got the watches now. They've got the computers, you know, the Macs, all sorts of products. But, you know, they they may have done that over uh, two decades or more. They certainly didn't do everything all at once. And in fact, it was pretty famous that one big turning point of Apple when Steve Jobs uh, came back a second time, that he got them to drop nearly all the products they were doing bar just a handful, a half a dozen. I think they were doing like 150 or something uh, products, you know, in research and development or whatever. And if you think you've got a company of 10,000 people and they're doing 200 projects, let's say, that's a heck of a lot of fractious teams all working in different directions. And uh, that's been proved to be one of the key decisions that turned Apple around. So you can have more than one income stream in one model, but make sure when you start or maybe in the first three to five years of doing your disruptive entrepreneur strategy, your enterprise, you have between one and three models. And uh, property, it might be single let HMO and commercial projects, conversions. Uh, If you're in the tech business, it may just be one app to start with, uh, but you may have another app in development, for example. Now, some people would argue either case against me. They would say, well, Rob, you should have more because you want multiple streams of income. And my answer to that would be, yes, you can build more, but that takes time. And really, you should only build a new income stream when the previous income stream is systemized. You know, for example, what Richard Branson does with his companies is he'll build a company in a certain niche. He'll get that to about 30 staff and then he'll break that company away. And if it grows bigger, he'll, he'll create a, a silo or a break-off company in a new model or industry. And, you know, he was in the record label industry, wasn't he, for many years. 
And he didn't do an airline straight away and then he did the airline industry and he didn't do his sort of TV broadband and all that and attack, kind of the disrupting sky model for many years. And then he didn't do the health clubs for many years. And yeah, he's got multiple streams of income now, but you know he's probably been an entrepreneur for 40 years. So you want to build multiple income streams, but only when the previous income stream is systemized and you've got time and resource and staff and money to break away into a new, to disrupt in a new stream, in a new model. But then on the other side of it, uh, some people say, well, Rob, you know, you should only focus on one thing and uh, at the expense of all others, because then you can focus on it properly. You can put all your time into it. You can get compounding, velocity, momentum. And I do agree with that. I think the more time you put into one thing, the more hours that you, you put in and the uh, time that you take to learn that and become a master of that and a known expert in that and build a brand around that and you build assets around that. Of course, that's going to pay you a dividend, a return, an interest, a passive income, whether it's IP or a physical asset. But the risk of that, especially, I mean, I'm a property investor, as you know, of about 592 properties currently, I think, that I co-own. And the problem with just having one lender or one type of property in maybe one specific area is if there's a governmental change, if there's a, a change of party who are in power, if there, there's been a lot of disruptive tax changes, for example, in the UK right now, which a lot of landlords are fighting against, you know, if you have one change that really changes your market, then you're exposed and you're vulnerable. If you have just one lender and they don't lend to you anymore, you're exposed, you're vulnerable. You know, if you have all of your followers and fans on Facebook and you don't have them in your email database or your Twitter or Instagram and Twitter, uh, Facebook change their algorithm or just change one way they do things, then you could become virtually extinct in business. And that's a risk. So I believe you're trying to balance having more than one income stream, but not having too many that you can't put enough focused time in. So if you chop and change and start again, always looking for the new thing, what you do is you reset all the IP, all the assets, all the brand, all the goodwill, all the network connections on the web, all the backlinks, all the um, mind space that people have in their mind about what you do, that all resets to zero and you become known for nothing again. In fact, if you, if you look at people who are doing something and then next year they're doing something else and something else, your brain just doesn't go, well, I don't know what they do. Your brain goes, well, they're doing something new every year. That means they're doing nothing and that can actually turn you off. So there is a huge cost of chopping, changing and starting again. So if you're looking in to go into a new venture, if you're looking to quit something that's kind of working, but maybe you're a bit bored, you're a bit stale, you think the industry is being disruptive, you can't just look at the upside of what you will get in the new niche. You've got to look at the cost of, you know, and the downside of moving away from what you've already got. Because sometimes it's better the devil you know, and often the grass isn't green on the other side. So when you're weighing up change, change of career, vocation, leaving your job, whatever, look at the cost of change as well as the opportunity and the benefit of change and weigh those up. Now, I'm not saying that that, that means you should never change, of course, but you want to look at opportunity cost as well as, you know, upside. So if you're going to divide your time say, between three income streams. If there's a balance, there's a balance between one and 10 different models or income streams. If you're going to divide your time or your staff time, your team time, you may want to use a, a model that we created at one of our companies called the 70-20-10 model. Now, I'm sure you've heard of the 80-20 principle, which I think is a great 
a law. I really believe it is one of the laws of the universe. It's the Pareto principle where you get 80% of the benefit from the 20% of the things you do. Richard Koch wrote a great book on it, which I know uh, Tim Ferriss has, you know, really made a big part of his four-hour work. We kind of know Perry Marshall's made a big part of his marketing training. And I've certainly tried to learn and study and embrace the 80-20 principle. You even wear 80% of your clothes 20% of the time. There's even 80% of the wear and 20% of the carpet. It's kind of uncanny how it really works. And uh, you probably get 80% of the nutrition from 20% of the food that you, uh, that you consume. You probably get 80% of the benefit from 20% of your staff. Uh, you probably get 80% of the benefit from 20% of your marketing spend. And the 70-20-10 model that we created at Progressive is a, it takes the, the concept of 80-20, but it puts it into how you divide your time in your business interests. So I'm saying at any one time, you can have between one and three models. So, you know, Bill Gates might be running Microsoft, but he might also be doing his philanthropic enterprises. Uh, I know many billionaires split their time between their current business, their new venture that they're in and their, their philanthropy. So that's kind of three things that they seem to be doing. And that seems to be quite common from really successful people I've seen anyway. Uh, on the outside, it looks like they do just one thing, but actually it's normally three. So let's say you have 50 hours a week that you're going to work and you're going to have 50 staff that work 50 hours a week too. Therefore, just as uh, numbers, random example, then 70% of the time should be on your main strategy, the one that's been bringing in the money for years, the one that's you're known for, that you're going to scale up, that's going to be the thing you're going to be doing forever for a long time. So what's 7% of 50 hours, 35 hours? Uh, for example, in, in my property interests, there's the standard sort of single let, three bed dwellings, the ones that Warren Buffett loves and bought thousands of in the recessions. You know, Mark and I, although we do much larger commercial projects now in the tens of thousands of square feet, the bread and butter is still the single let dwellings. And so, you know, a decent amount of my team's time, because I have acquisitions managers, buyers, refurb teams, much of their time is on buying those single lets. Then 20% of your time might be into the kind of the newer model, the thing you see as the future, because if you're always working in the future, then you take income away from the past. And, the, and, and you know, and the, sorry, income from the now. But if you're always working in the now, then the risk is you don't embrace innovation, change, disruption. So, you know, as a bank, for example, you might look at the, the lending that you're doing now, but you might look at disruptive technologies uh, of currency. You might look at how you can embrace uh, online currencies, cryptocurrencies, or, or where you think the new currency may be in the future. Because if, you, if you've always got your head in the clouds, you're never going to be making money today. So 20% of your time, so what's that, 10 hours, is going to be in your secondary strategy, 70% of your time in your for your primary strategy, 20% of you on your team's time in your secondary strategy. And then the other 10% in your, you know, so five of the 50 hours in your tertiary or your uh, disruptive or your future income strategy or territory. So it's funny because as you go through time, what used to be your 10% that you were kind of just looking into in the distant future that you get into one day, in the future can become your 70. And what you do is each time you go into a new model, you make sure you systemize the previous model so that you can then transfer 70% of your time into the previous 20% and 20% of your time into the previous 10%. So I think now in my business interests, I have about eight or nine different models and income streams, whether they're assets like property or whether they're intellectual property businesses such as progressive property or unlimited success, our training businesses, about eight different business models now. Now, I didn't start doing them all. 
I probably tried, to be honest, when I started because I probably had the shiny penny syndrome and I was probably tr- trying to chase every promise and dream and shiny penny and, you know, I was probably getting excited that I could be a millionaire in five minutes doing every single thing and probably got a real slap in the face a year or two in when I was spread so thin. But once I got the proper lessons, uh, really what you do is you focus enough time on one thing, 70% of your time, you have a, a legacy plan to systemize it, you have a contingency plan to back it up with your 20 and your 10 and um, once this model is systemized, this company is ring-fenced, it's got an MD, you know, you get proper profit and loss statements, management accounts, you have board meetings, uh, you know, you have a, a five or a 10-year or even a 20-year business model and plan, and it kind of runs itself, then you can focus more of your own personal time and your new future interests. And so you just keep going along like a conveyor belt, and you just feed a new income stream into the 70, 20, 10. Once the 70 has been systemized and everything just moves along, the 20 becomes the new 70, the 10 becomes the new 20, and something new and disruptive or future innovation becomes the new 10. And you de-risk because you're not putting all of your time into the future kind of innovation that's maybe a bit tenuous or unproven, but also uh, you're making sure that you systemize the previous one that's bringing in all the money at the time so that you're not just chasing a dream and kind of breaking everything that you've set up in terms of systems, processes, and and proven passive income. Okay, the next thing is you've got to do those things, those 70, 20, and 10s long enough, deep enough, what you might call a deep dive, to get compounding momentum. You've got to, you know, plant the roots to see the shoots and then the fruits. Uh, You've got to be doing them long enough. So if you keep giving up on things before they have time to mature and to pay a return and a dividend, then therein lies the problem. It's not the model itself. And I I believe at least 18 months, you've got to give a, a strategy or a model or an income stream enough time to prove that it can work. And if you chop and change every six months, you reset everything, you you go back to minus zero, because each time you go to a new thing, you've got to pick yourself up and give yourself more energy and motivation. So you actually reset to minus zero each time you start again. And like I said, in the wealth creation industry, so many people are just looking for the next new get rich quick scheme. And all they're doing is getting poorer. And the only people that are getting rich are the people that are selling the get rich quick schemes. And it's actually not necessarily a problem with the people who are teaching the get-rich-quick schemes. It's the, it's the naivety of the people who are buying into them, thinking that they can make them a millionaire every five minutes and then just ditching them when they don't. So give every model at least 18 months. And at some time you might, you know, you've also got to have the courage to write it off and move on if it doesn't work. But you can't test anything long enough to see if it works if you give it a few months each time. And, uh, you know, velocity and momentum and compounding those invisible things that make you a lot of money and get your brand shared across the world and bring you passive income, the ethereal, intangible connections, they take time to build and they all get broken when you start again. So number three, don't chop and change every few months, every five minutes. Uh, Number four, don't, don't diversify too fast. So if you're given an income stream 18 months or a model 18 months at least, don't go to, to, to more than three too quickly. Don't diversify too quickly. Don't, don't diversify when you haven't got your existing models or income streams secured, systemized, staffed, manualized, processes created for them. You know, you've tested them. You've created contingency and legacy plans for things that could go wrong. Okay, never stop learning. And I think a lot of people, when they get to a certain point in their career or their business, when they're doing quite well, they become comfortable. And I think if you're green, you grow, you're ripe, you're right, as Ray Kroc said. Uh, And I think that you'll stop earning as soon as you stop learning. And I believe that the more you learn, the more you earn. And there's nothing worse to see 
as someone who's become bored, stale, or even, you know, cocky and that they feel like they can just turn up. And I believe growth is one of the key things that keeps humanity from surviving and evolving. And I believe that growth is one of the greatest gifts in life. The fact that you can get up today knowing that you can be better than you were tomorrow. You've always got more hope of a better future. And I believe that means that you can get older and older and older and still become happier and more fulfilled and make a bigger difference on the planet and leave a a larger and more lasting legacy. So no matter how good you are, you always want to be a student as well as a master. You always want to make sure you've got mentors, learn from the best in every niche and industry. I love learning cross-niche and cross-industry. I think that you can learn as much from a a sports superstar or a celebrity as well as you can a, a business owner in your space. Of course, the people who are further ahead of you in your industry as well. Don't see them as competitors. Try and collaborate, try and learn from them, try and give to them, combine with them if you can, collaborate, joint venture rather than you know, trying to be overly competitive or, or just always trying to beat them all the time, competing against them. Uh, nothing that you learn is ever wasted. You know, money's gone, time has gone, but everything that you learn, you retain a, a percentage of it. And even if you only retain 5% of everything you learn, I mean, I must admit my retention is terrible. Uh, I listen to about 200 audio books a year now on average. I'm trying to do one a day, so I'm trying to do 365 books this year. And uh, I put the audio on two times speed, although don't put me on two times speed because that's probably a bit fast. And I've accepted the fact that I might only retain five or 10% of it, but five or 10% of 200 books is, you know, it's better than no books, isn't it? And those that don't read have no advantage over those that can't read. So even if you only retain five or 10% of what you learn, you're going to fill your brain with information that's going to make you money. And the more you learn, the more you earn. Uh, I think it's quite easy to compare yourselves to people in your niche or your industry or the big superstars in the world, you know, your heroes, Steve Jobs, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Ariana Huffington, you know, whoever uh, really inspires you, Oprah Winfrey, uh, and kind of compare yourself to those and either try and copy their models that maybe aren't right for you because you have different values or kind of de-pedestalize yourself to a certain degree. You know, you think, oh, well, am I ever going to be as good as them? And I seem to be working so hard. Look, they make it look so easy. And, you know, every master was once a disaster, as, I've, as I like to say. I think that was T. Harvecker who taught me that quote. And they have the same struggles and challenges as you. So if you're going to compare yourself to them, compare the fact that they're an ordinary, normal human being too that's had problems, challenges, haters, critics, difficulties, failings, but they've got back up one more time than they were knocked down. And I see a lot of people comparing themselves to their mentors or gurus or industry leaders, and it kind of demotivates them, depositions them, or they overly copy them, and it's not necessarily right for them. You know, you're a unique individual who has unique talents and geniuses. You've got your own unique path and purpose and mission and vision, and the greatest gift that you can give to yourself is to discover that and not try and be an imitation of someone else, uh, but also and not be disempowered by someone else because you're comparing your results to their results. They've probably been doing it their whole life. They've definitely made many mistakes, probably more than you, to be honest. So only ever compare yourself to a mentor or a hero in an impositive, empowering way, in such a way that you can learn and grow and give back to others and, and, and be more fulfilled and, and it can take you further towards your, your vision and your legacy there. And uh, they're very bad at things that you're very good at 
They've just happened to master the thing that, that they're mastered. You can teach them things that they don't yet know how to do. If you're good at martial arts or you can play an instrument or whatever, you can certainly teach me something and I can help you about business and raising money and making money and investing in assets and, you know, continuing your personal development. We can help each other. And that's the, that's the way the world is. Okay, I think it's really important when you build your businesses to have income and capital strategies. Now, a lot of businesses are really a glorified job because if they don't turn up to work tomorrow, then the income stops. And I don't believe that's a business. I believe that's a job. I believe that's an exchange of time for money. And when the, the time is always lost, you only get the money if you exchange the time. So if there's an industry change, if, you're, if you have health issues, if you lose your motivation or inspiration for that industry, then the income will stop immediately. And there's no proje projection, protection. There's no ability to scale because that, that just increases the risk. And ultimately... You're maybe a month or two months or a few months away from all the cash being burned in the business account or or going into the, the red in terms of your personal finances. So you want to make sure you're building an asset in your business, whether that's a, a business that can, you can sell, hopefully for seven or eight or nine figures, or whether it's you're building intellectual property. So you're building audio products, books, you're um, creating IP that you can sell or license or franchise. That's an asset. That's also paying you an income through salary, dividend, passive income from an asset such as property or, like I said, a license that, or, you know, that pays you passive income. It's very important to have both strategies working hand in hand. And being in property, I see a lot of people who have a capital strategy, i.e. they're buying properties that maybe have inherent equity or will have growth potential, but actually don't pay enough passive income to pay all their overheads. So actually, it's not an asset, it's a liability. And uh, if the income changes through increasing interest rates or changing circumstances or, or whatever, uh, then, you know, they can't pay the, the overheads and uh, that becomes a negative yield or a negative income. And then it's not an asset anymore. It's a liability. Then the bank will want to call in the loans, especially if it's a commercial loan. And you could end up losing the assets. So the equity, the, you know, the capital was only ever on paper and it never really existed. So you've got to get yourself out of a job by getting your business systemized, by getting your role replaced, by getting everything that's in your head uh, on a manual, on a Camtasia video training, staff replacing you. You want to become redundant, not reliant in your role and make sure that you're not just building a job, you know, or a larger job with larger risk. And you want to have both capital and income. Uh, you've got a big payday one day if you've got capital. Uh, capital assets what often pay passive income. But income is the thing that pays the current overheads, keeps the lenders away, and uh, also feeds your family and allows you to live your mobile ideal lifestyle. Okay, so I hope you've enjoyed this podcast, episode nine. The, remember that if you chop and change and start again, you reset everything to zero or minus zero. So consider the cost of change when you're looking at a new opportunity. Don't stay in something for too long just because you're scared of the change on the other side of it. Make sure that, you know, when it's time to change, when you know it's time to change. If you don't risk anything, you risk everything. Make sure that you balance your capital versus income. Make sure that you have between one and three main income streams and that you divide your time 70, 20, 10 accordingly. Don't compare yourself to other people other than to learn and grow. Don't think that the grass is greener on the other side. It often isn't. Understand your vision, mission, and legacy, the, you know, your unique path. Follow that. Don't try and be anybody else. And hey, I'd love to hear from you. Please do review 
this particular episode if you enjoyed it or my podcast in general. Please share. You know, if you think this could help other people, please share. Also, please do submit any questions on my Twitter or Facebook, Rob Moore Progressive on Facebook, Rob Progressive on Twitter. I don't know if you've read my book, Life Leverage. Uh, that's on Amazon. Uh, you know, I really want to help you. And I'm, I'm not asking for any money other than maybe a small amount of book. I really want to help you uh, disrupt in your industry, become the, the leader in your industry, create passive income, financial freedom for yourself, build your enterprise and make more money and make a lasting difference. So thank you. Thank you.